0: again from Pillar of Truth. In our series called The Real Story of Marriage, we are spending some time focusing on those who are unmarried. Specifically today, we're going to look at the question of whether or when to marry. Travis, I've heard some unmarried people say that the reason that they need to get married soon is because they struggle so much with self-control when it comes to sexual purity in their life. Is that a good reason to get married? I've heard the same thing,
1: Josh. I think anybody who's uh, been a pastor and elder has heard some young man come to him and point out First Corinthians seven thirty six. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Listen, when I find a young couple or a young man coming to me and saying, "Listen, I, I'm having trouble with sexual temptation and all that, and and keeping all this in check," and so we're going to get married right away. I say, if you don't deal with the self-control issues before you go into that marriage, don't think that marriage is going to handle your self-control issues. Marriage is not going to deal with your lust issues because lust is sin. And just the institution of marriage doesn't solve the sin that's in your heart. You have to grow in self-control and self-discipline in order to be a godly husband or a godly wife. So, I'd say I want to slow that down and try to help that young couple to work through some of those self-control, self-discipline issues and give them resources and tools to help them grow in that discipline and control so that they can be the best husband, the best wife that God wants them to be.
0: That's good counsel. Thank you, Travis, for that. Now let's join our teaching for today. This is the
2: final message in our marriage series. I want to pick up where we left off in 1 Corinthians 7, 36, and we'll address Paul's answer to the question that was posed back in verse 25 by the betrothed man or the engaged man in the Corinthian church, and after we deal with that point, we'll broaden out a little bit to address some questions uh, about living the single life in the church. So we started saying that in point number one, all unmarried Christians are indispensable. That's kind of a tautology. All Christians are indispensable in the plan of God and in the design of Christ and headship over his church. All Christians are indispensable. So of course, all unmarried Christians are indispensable as well. Unmarried and married Christians are woven together in the fabric of the local church, and it creates a beautiful tapestry that brings praise and glory to God. That's his design in the church. So all unmarried Christians are indispensable. And then secondly, our second point, some unmarried Christians are intentional. That is to say, some are intentional in the way that they live the Christian life. They embrace whatever God has given them and whatever God has withheld from them. Either way is a gift from his grace. Any Christian can live an intentional life, no matter what their status, condition, situation, circumstance, All that matters ultimately is Christ lived through us. Us living in Christ and Christ living in and through us. That may sound rather pious. All that matters is Christ, but it's true. And living with a Christward focus and striving for Christ's likeness and conformity to Christ in our lives, that does lead to true piety. Remember that the guy from verse 25 still has his hand up. He's still waiting for an answer to his question, should I get married to my fiance? We're kind of in a holding pattern here, and I'm awaiting your answer. Point three, some unmarried Christians are eligible to get married. So those who have never been married but want to be married, they're eligible to be married. Those who have a biblically sanctioned divorce that is conducted according to scripture under the purview of the local church, under the oversight of its leadership, they too can be In some cases, free to be remarried, but I would caution that because there's just so much to to unpack in those kind of situations. And then those who are widows who want to marry, they are also free to remarry only in the Lord. But um, again, Paul says, I advise against it. If you've been married before, just trust me, the single life is better from my perspective. So the question then from verse 25. Paul takes that up, 1 Corinthians 7:36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Now, that is an answer to address the question of the betrothed. Those who are engaged, having never been married, and in this situation. Again, we need to stress this situation because we need to read this in light of verse 26, what we call the present distress. A Grain shortage in Corinth resulting in unrest and rioting, uprisings. It was a dangerous, uh, very uncertain time in the city and its surroundings. So the question is, what do we do with our betrothal? What do we do with our engagement in uncertain times? Do we go forward and consummate the marriage or do we wait until social unrest dies down? When you understand the background, and you understand the intent of the question, it kind of makes good sense, doesn't it? Well, this might be the wise plan to extend the betrothal period and to postpone finalizing and consummating the marriage. Keep in mind that during a betrothal period, first century, and even going back centuries before that, the betrothal period was very significant. It's not like our engagement, which is kind of looser. Betrothal was a strengthened form of our engagement. It really was tantamount to marriage legally. There was a contract involved with the family. And if a man broke that contract, man, he could be in for it legally. So very serious time. A a betrothed couple was treated like a married couple. Uh, Even though they weren't living together, the woman was still living in her father's house. And the man was oftentimes, if he's a younger man, especially living his father's house, he's preparing a place in his father's house and with his father's business and means to try to provide for this young wife he's about to bring in. That betrothal period could last as up to a year, sometimes longer, depending on the circumstances. And at the end of that betrothal period, that's when the, the father sent his son to go get his bride, bring her back, and they were going to have a, a week-long wedding. So it was a wedding festival and all the rest. And then that's when they started living together as husband and wife, and they were their own one-flesh unit. So this woman here in this situation, she's still living in her parents' home. That means she's provided for, she's protected, she's safe and secure. So this is a loving, considerate, wise uh, question that this husband-to-be is asking of Paul. He's trying to consider the provision and safety of his fiancée, his future wife. So if he can wait, better to wait, better to postpone removing her from that provision, protection, safety and comfort of her father's home in this situation. So under these conditions, in this situation, what is the determinative factor for Paul and his counsel? What's the determinative factor between verse 36 and verse 37? Because there's two different recommendations there. What determines whether they postpone the wedding, which is the second situation, or go ahead with it right away, which is the first situation? Should they go ahead with it, like he says in verse 36, or should they postpone it, verse 37, Paul says there's one factor, and it's the factor of self-control. That is the determinative factor between the differing counsel in verse 36 and verse 37. That's the contrast. It's between those who lack self-control in verse 36, and then if he is able to exercise self-control, verse 37. So if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly, uh, that word can mean if he thinks that he is acting unbecomingly, and it's, it's obviously in this context where it's in a sexual sense. So if anyone thinks he's not behaving well toward his betrothed, and if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. So to not behave properly, to act unbecomingly, to act in some sexually inappropriate way, Paul is putting this onto the man's conscience and saying, you tell me. You tell me what's going on in your conscience before the Lord. If your conscience is bothering you, you need to take note of that. But the second part of the verse, if his passions are strong, that translation, the NIV actually has a very clear translation of this verse. Here's what it says. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, And if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. I think that is a a, a very accurate and plain translation. Paul, even though he acknowledges that, verse 36, the best plan, he says, what he's saying to this man, I think the best plan is for you to wait until the social unrest dies down, until life returns to normal. That will require of you a bit of self-control. That will require the godly discipline of waiting. Verse 37, the man who is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. Building a marriage is hard, but it's even harder in times of severe distress and trouble. So Paul is saying, wait, let the trouble pass over. That's the best route. That's going to set you up for the best success of building a life together. But if you lack self-control, back to verse 36 and what I said there, go ahead and get married. You're not sinning, even if that's not the best. Self-control is a huge theme in this chapter. It's obviously a huge theme throughout Paul's teaching all through the New Testament. But in this chapter, we look back at verse five, husbands and wives should not deprive one another of conjugal rights. Why? Verse five, so that Satan may not tempt you because why? Of your lack of self-control. Your self-control issues don't end with marriage. Okay? Single people, once you get married, you still have different areas of self-control. We all need to to fight for self-control, self-discipline. But verse five, self-control in the marriage relationship. Verse 9, to the married, unmarried, and the widows, those who've been married before, Paul says, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So for those who've been married before, those who may be divorced, maybe those who are widowed, if they are legitimately able, biblically able to get married, they're allowed to get remarried, well, Paul says, I think it's better that they stay unmarried, but if they can't exercise self-control, they should marry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion, and by the way, also better than to sin. That's the issue in self-control. That's the issue in all this counsel is he says I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to commit sin. Interesting that phrase or that sentence there. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. You often hear, don't you? Those who've never been married to anyone before, they quote that last sentence as if it applies to themselves as if it justifies their demands. I need a wife right now. And they point to that verse. Paul's not addressing those who haven't been married before. He's addressing those who have been married before. This is for the unmarried, the, maybe those who are divorced. He's, this is for the widows. It's not for those who've never been married before. The struggle for sexual purity and self-control in sexual issues can be difficult, certainly difficult in Corinth. The place was immersed. Pornography—all the things you might think of—immersed uh, in sexual immorality. They had a temple where there were temple prostitutes, cult prostitutes, male and female, that people visited and frequented. You can even see it show up in 1 Corinthians chapter six and 1 Corinthians chapter five. There's sexual immorality going on in the church. It's it's a vile place. Corinth, Greco-Roman world was filled with sexual immorality. It's very very much like our culture now. So. Struggle for sexual purity in, in, a, in a culture saturated with sexual immorality can be a difficult, difficult thing. But Paul is acknowledging that there's even a greater difficulty for those who've already experienced sexual intimacy, like those who are the, what he calls the unmarried and the widows. He um, acknowledges it's more difficult for them because they've experienced it. So for them, the battle to practice self-control can be more intense. Which is why... It is exceedingly foolish, not to mention sinful, to flirt with sexual temptation. If you're unmarried, well, we're more married, but if you're, especially if you're unmarried, you don't have to be married these days to experience sexual intimacy. People commit fornication all the time. People can look at pornography all the time. So it is is foolish and sinful to flirt with temptation. It's like a child playing with fire. It's like a child sticking a fork into an electric socket. It is going to, it is going to do you great, great harm. So foolish to give in to sexual temptation, to engage in any kind of sexual sin in any form, whether virtual or actual, whether on a screen or in person, it doesn't matter. It is absolutely foolish. You will regret that for the rest of your life. The world tells those who've never been married, go get sexual experience before before you marry. Go get sexual experience so that You'll be practiced up when you get married. That's the idea. It's so stupid, so stupid to excite the sexual desires, to provoke the passions that God intends for one man to have for one woman. He intends for one woman to have for one man. To play around with that before you're married and in that covenant it is like lighting a match to the hormonal fuel of the body and setting the whole thing on fire. And when that fire burns, it burns images and sensations into the memory. It takes a long, long time to uproot those and erase those. But by God's grace, it does happen with sanctification. But still, don't put it there. You have a choice to make. God's counsel, contrary to the world, obviously, but God's counsel to everyone, especially those who are not married, sound counsel for everybody who's trying to prepare, get themselves prepared and ready for marriage. Practice self-control. Practice self-control. Listen to this from, you can write this down, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 to 7. Let each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Let no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness, holiness, self-discipline, self-control. These are the building blocks to setting a foundation, a good foundation for your married life and for the entirety of the Christian life as well. Learning to practice self-control, learning to say no to your impulses, all your desires, longings, to put them in check. Just to deny yourself of something you're allowed to have anyway. Walk by that donut in the office. Just say no. Just say no. Just walk right by it. You see that pastry, ladies? Just, just walk right by. Say, I've, I'm going to have control over my own body. And I'm going to tell my, sensei- my, my desires. No, I'm in charge, not you. That's how it goes. Even those things that are legitimate, God-given desires, legitimate God-given desires, if you are willing to sin to get them, or you will sin if you don't get them, well, that's when legitimate God-given desires can turn into sin. So put guardrails around legitimate God-given desires, especially in the realm of sexual propriety. The practice of godly discipline, self-control, it lays a foundation, not just for sexual purity, but for the entire Christian life. And it prepares us to enjoy God's very best. God's very best. According to verse 38, in view of the social unrest and danger, the one who marries his betrothed does well, but the one who refrains from marriage, he'll do even better. So the difference is between one who does well and then one who does even better. So much of the Christian life is not about the choice between right and wrong, good and evil, bad and good, righteous, unrighteous. Those are simple binary matters that our Bibles aided by our, the law of God in our hearts and informed by all of nature, supported by our consciences. Making those kinds of choices between the black and white issues are so, so easy. But what the betrothed Christian, the betrothed Corinthian is asking about and what so much of decision-making in the Christian life is really about, it's about the choices between good, better, and best. It's why settle for the good? Why settle even for the better when God's very best is available to you? Those who practice self-control, especially in the realm of permissible things like this, whether to marry now or wait till later, this is to train your heart for future discernment. It's to make a distinction between the good, better, and the best. That That is the stuff of wisdom there. Here's what the, you may have be familiar with this text in Hebrews, but Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, there are certain sections of Hebrews where there's some rebukes to the Hebrew Christians, the Hebrew congregation. And the writer says this, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. We'll stop there. That's what we're to be doing. We're to be practicing discipline, self-control, so that we can discern good from evil and then also discern good, better, and best and make wise decisions. Now, that's the betrothed. Let me come back to 1 Corinthians 7 and just finish up the chapter since we're at it and talk about the widows. And then we'll come back to draw out some implications in the final verses of the chapter, verses 39 to 40. Paul returns to address the widows. Same principles are in play here. It says a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. Again, Paul had experienced both conditions, the life of a married man and of an unmarried single man. And he acknowledges their freedom to remarry Death breaks the bond of marriage, which means there is a freedom to remarry, but he nevertheless encourages the unmarried and the widow to just stay as they are, stay single. She's happier if she remains as she is and she doesn't get married. So the only exception, go back to verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 7, is if a widow is unable to exercise self-control. So he said in verse 8, it's good for the unmarried and the widows to remain single as I am, but If they can't exercise self-control, they should remarry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. This is consistent also with Paul's instructions to Timothy about ministering to widows. 1 Timothy 5.11, he says to Timothy, refuse to enroll younger widows. He means enroll them on the support list of the church. So refuse to enroll them for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. That is their former commitment. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Again, pointing them back to the institution of marriage for that shaping, constraining, um, using all their energy for instead of evil, but for good now. And in, in raising, managing households, bearing children, raising children, and all the rest. Paul would rather have unmarried and widows, remain unmarried. But he, he's a pastor. He sees, he sees the difficulty in some people in their maturity level in Christ and sees there are differences in people's ability to exercise self-control. So he makes provision for the, the strength of that marriage impulse which goes all the way back to the garden of Eden. Remember, compelled by a desire to marry a wife, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, till shall become one flesh. He's going to be driven to marriage. Also the woman, even after the fall, her desire shall be for her husband. So they're still compelled to come together. And yet verse 40, in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I too, I think that I too have the spirit of God. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm just throwing my opinion around here for you to take or leave. What I'm saying comes by way of divine revelation. So pay heed, pay heed. So let me wrap this up. All unmarried Christians are indispensable. There's no first tier, second tier, third tier Christian, whether married or unmarried, all are vital members of the body of Christ. Some unmarried Christians are intentional. They make the most of whatever situation God has given them. They see it as a gift. And then some unmarried Christians are eligible for Marriage, but Paul doesn't advise marriage for all who are eligible. For the unmarried, the widows, he's decidedly in favor of them staying single, abstaining from marriage. Still, he'd prefer they give up what he thinks would benefit them most so they can avoid sinning because of a lack of self control. So, staying away from sin, that is the most essential concern on his mind. For those who've never been married, Paul doesn't discourage them from married, but all would do well to consider verse 35 carefully. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And again, what Jesus said to his disciples, that everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So both marriage and singleness, both are good gifts from a good and wise God.
0: Okay. Well, as Travis mentioned, the Bible teaches we are to practice self-control in all areas of our lives. So, as a point of application for today's message, you might ask yourself, how are you doing in that area? Well, we'll wrap up our series called The Real Story of Marriage next time. Plan to join us. And if you've missed any of these broadcasts, visit our website, pillaroftruthradio.com, to find the ones you missed, as well as many other encouraging teachings from the Bible. We would love to hear from you. Send us an email at, at com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. We'd also like to invite you to join us here at Grace Church in Greeley, Colorado, this coming Sunday. Just visit our church's website, gracegreeley.org, to find details about our services. Now, from all of us here at Pillar of Truth, I'm Josh Ode. Thanks for listening.